welcome to Captured on Celluloid, a podcast about movies. I'm Adam McGee, and joining me, a reunion of sorts, not of sorts, a reunion, <laughs> uh, a former guest and co-host on multiple different podcasts at this point, and I'm delighted to say my co-host on this new podcast, Andrew Snyder. Hello, Andrew. Adam, it's great to be back with you doing the thing that you do so well and that I just do, and that is talking about movies. I think you do it well also, but I mean, I don't want to say that I do it well. We'll let the people decide. We're, we're less than a minute into this, and I feel like if we kind of blow ourselves up a little bit too much, that wouldn't be a good sign. People won't be... They won't come to us as the kind of warm and endearing characters that we really are. And warm and endearing is a great way to describe us. We're like if puppies like to talk about movies. Uh, should should we give them, the folks out there in in podcast land a little background on you know how we've come to do this podcast because of you know to get somewhere you have to have been somewhere. So where have we been, Adam? We've been everywhere, um, I think is, is quite literally the way to put it. I mean, that is what we're going to do on this episode. We're really going to give you all kind of a wider introduction to what Captured on Satellite is going to be. Um, it's going to be a podcast about movies shot on film and digitally. Don't let the title of the podcast uh, fool you on that one. And we're going to kind of cover a really wide range of topics. And I hope that's going to be something that will kind of make us interesting for everyone and allow us to stand out from the crowd a little bit there won't be a really strict delineation between oh this is a podcast about art house movies and this is a podcast about blockbuster fair because i think the one thing in all of our conversations over the years that we've known each other now andrew is we just really like movies and i guess from time to time they can fall on one extreme of the scale or the other but our view to it is just kind of these are all of the one thing. And if you go in with an open mind, you can be rewarded. So hopefully that's something everyone is going to get out of our podcast over the many, many episodes to come. Um, we will dive into all sorts of things. We'll take a closer look at directors, filmographies um, over time. I'd hope to think we'll kind of build up our own canon of classic films that we think are must watch for for all of our listeners, we'll talk about hidden gems from over the years. We'll take wider looks at kind of where film is as a medium and I guess industry kind of factors in terms of how cinema is evolving in Hollywood and globally. And there'll be a whole lot more to come too. We've got some fun projects and kind of teamed series of episodes already mapped out. And you'll be learning a whole lot more about them in the very near future. For now though, it's probably best to learn a little bit more about us, as you so nicely set up, Andrew, and not just learn about us in terms of, you know, who are Adam and Andrew, but I think in this case specifically, you know, who are Adam and Andrew through the prism of movies? If you're going to listen to us talk about film, if you're going to invest your precious time in yet another film podcast, why is this one that's going to be interesting to you? Will we briefly at least give the background of, you know, these two guys with funny accents, respectively, uh, somehow coming together and doing a podcast? Does that make sense in case anyone's completely new to who we are? 
I think that's a good idea. And I think I can, you know, give the entire origin story pretty succinctly and and try and uh, kind of bring everything together if you'd like me to dive into that. I'm, I'm ceding the floor to you, Andrew. So, Adam, as some listeners may know, uh, you're the, what do they call it now, the site expert of uh, one of the most successful NBA or any fan-sided blogs behind the Buck Pass. So you run a blog about the Milwaukee Bucks, and you do it very successfully. And a few years ago, maybe getting to be three or four years ago at this point, so it's been been quite a while now, I um, had been doing some basketball blogging as well and was very interested in, in trying to take over as one of the uh, side experts for, for another fan-sided site. So I just, you know, slid into your DMs to get some <laughs> some uh, feedback and some advice on, you know, how you run something successfully. And over, you know, that time, I think a, a friendship sort of to develop between us. We had similar sports takes in many cases. And, you know, we also found that we had a shared love of film. So after being a guest on on your podcast a few times after being a guest on Ty Windish's mutual mutual friend there uh his podcast a few times I decided that you know I wanted to start a podcast and that was the now defunct loose balls podcast which I think had two episodes one of which made to air because I was not good at editing podcasts and also I was not good at hosting podcasts but in the ashes of loose balls uh leftover popcorn podcast was spawn co-hosted by both of us and you know we took that mutual interest and love of film and we talked about it every week for an hour to two hours and you know i think we had a really good time we uh had a small but dedicated group of listeners who provided us great feedback and great banter and then uh you know for various reasons our schedules led to the death of that podcast but then, you know, Adam, over the last, I guess, few months, uh, a kernel of an idea formed in your brain to, to bring it back in this form. And now uh, here we are, older, wiser, and ready to uh, once again talk about the things that we love. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty good way of summing it all up. I think older, wiser, more learned about the world, more learned about film would be uh, a good way of putting it. And I guess if for people who did listen to the Leftover Popcorn podcast in the past, I think some of the differences between that and what this is going to be is it's not necessarily going to be as kind of propulsive week to week to week. What's new? What's new? Where maybe sometimes we're stumbling into something that's really great and important and we really want to talk about and everyone really wants to listen to discussion about and then other weeks it's like okay well what's this new not so great netflix movie i mean it's it's easy to do that there's there's a lot of ways that we could kind of follow that that route and i mean in leftover popcorn we we involve tv a lot too which is probably something that won't happen here um but what we're gonna do is I guess talk about things that we feel more passionate about, we feel are more important, and we feel just in the wider kind of scope of, okay, what is film, what are movies, and why do we care about them, um, adds to the conversation in an interesting way. So with that, sure, we'll talk about 
new movies and kind of recent releases as we go throughout the year and we'll frequently reflect back on kind of okay what's been out this year what's been out recently and offer up recommendations but another part of it and i think something that we think will be fun and a lot more interactive hopefully too is to say okay well here's this movie from year x that we think is really worth checking out maybe you've seen it maybe you haven't let's kind of plan it out ahead of time let listeners go watch it read up on it and then kind of reconvene where we'll have an in-depth conversation about it. So I think through many different forms, that's going to be a, a, a notable element of what we do and what was different to what we did in the past. So hopefully it makes for something that's kind of less just kind of trying to keep up with the rat race, a little bit more co- contemplative and something that has greater scope, I think, for everyone else to feel like, okay, I can take part in this. I can actively look forward to the next episode. I can make sure I know exactly what I've been tuned in on. Because, I mean, even between ourselves, I mean, um, I live in Ireland. You you live in the US. We deal with different release schedules for movies we could talk about, even if they're at the same time. You could have listeners where, you know, if a movie hasn't gone wide, it's not playing the city they live in. You've got all of these various kind of complications that come into podcasting about movies as they happen um that can be a barrier for it and maybe is a barrier just to kind of greater fandom in cinema now than it was in years past so we hope to bypass that by taking a much wider view that will really include the new and the old and we're glad to have you along with us and we hope you'll stick around and see over our first i guess five six episodes and we'll mix around a whole variety of different types of things to try and give you a sense of the different ideas and the different things we hope to bring to the table. So plenty of good stuff to look forward to. Okay, that's the kind of really boring about us section of this out of the way. Now I want to get to the about us true movie section, which I I think is not quite as, you know, not quite as... um, settle deep in terms of ego or something that's just a little too self-involved this is this is it this is okay if i was gonna listen to someone talk about movies i'd want to know okay well why should i listen to you why have you got something interesting to say tell me about what you like and then i'll know if this is something that's worth my time so that's something we're gonna do here are you ready for some deep probing questions that on the surface may not be a lot, but they they could really tap into your psyche here, Andrew. That's uh, what I'm excited about and also worried about because we're going deep into, to young Andrew here. And some of it, some of it's going to bring up some bad memories. Some of it's going to bring up some good nostalgic memories. So, you know, we're, we're into the real stuff now. Before we go way, way back to, you know, young Andrew, just kind of general sense of, you like movies, you're a fan of movies. I would say you're quite a considerable way beyond just the average, I like movies. I watch movies now and then. Why Why is film important to you? Why are movies something that you care about? How did you become the kind of person that is now co-hosting a movie podcast? I think part of it is the escapism that everyone goes to entertainment for. Whether it's, you know, you spend your Friday night 
out at a sporting event, going to the movies, going to a play, going to a bar. Uh, movies allow us to be transported into a different world and sometimes even a different time. It's also an interesting reflection of society and like seeing where movies you know, started at one point in our history and seeing where they've evolved now, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. So that's really, you know, how I came to feel the way I do about film. And, you know, it probably started more from a nostalgic sense and that, you know, when I was a kid, me and my, my brother would go to my grandmother's house probably once a month. And what we would do at that time was rent five movies <laughs> in a watch them all in a night order a pizza eat a bunch of candy and so it was uh you know like i said the the escape from my everyday life you're, you're sitting there watching something doing something you want to do that's you know more of like a treat and then as you go through your life you know gr- growing up uh in the american public education system you're usually taught that the only things to look at through a critical lens are like literature things like that and then I remember the first time that I thought of a movie as something that could be analyzed and broken down critically, it just opened up a whole new world of the types of films that I enjoyed. So, you know, I'm coming at it from a, a left brain, right brain situation where there's that entertainment and escapism as well as the like, well, let me just sit down and, and think about this movie for two hours because it's stuck in my brain. Yeah, I, I think that's all good. I think a lot of that would speak for, for me as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something which sounds incredibly dramatic and is dramatic um, and is ridiculous in many ways, but there there is truth in this. There is also a special kind of privilege in this to be able to to say something along these lines, which I I appreciate and will own up to. But cinema is kind of my life, Andrew. You know this. Maybe it's not that easy to pinpoint at what just at what point in my life it happened, but. Um, where a lot of people listening to this, if they if they are familiar with me, true basketball stuff of the past, that may be what they associate with me, and it may kind of surprise them to a certain extent. Uh, film is really what I do, and it's it's my ultimate passion. But it's kind of long gone beyond that, where it's it's just almost a compulsion. It's it's something that I feel is kind of essential to just you know my day to day, my week to week. And I think there there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, one of them, as you touched on, is I guess kind of the idea of what film is in a really formal sense. And that is, it's this perfect marriage of the stage and literature and music. And it's all brought together. And then it's kind of through that synergy it creates its own unique language which comes with the camera and it has its own rules and its own kind of intricacies idiosyncrasies that are kind of there on the surface and they're instantly understandable i mean the language of cinema is something which to basically everyone and certainly in the western world it's just something it's something you grow up with. It's hard to remember a time and really it doesn't exist where you looked at a screen and there was a TV show on or there was a movie on and your brain just was completely unable to process. What is this? What is this kind of break from my reality? Because so much of it is designed to replicate how we think and 
the way the world moves in front of us. So for me, there there is something about kind of all of these great art forms, all these great ways of people communicating um, ideas and really kind of sharing their perspectives and opening up their worlds. It all comes together in this one form that not only can take a lot of the best parts from all of it, but I mean, traditionally, and I guess even more so as time has gone on, is incredibly accessible. There's a reason why cinema did become, you know, the, the foremost popular entertainment. Um, it is relatively cheap compared to if you're going to go to the theater or you're going to go to see a play or a ballet, uh, whatever it might be, whatever your thing is, movies are cheap. And it's even cheaper than ever, I guess, if you want to watch hundreds of movies on Netflix, they're right there. They're ready for you to do that. So that to me is is kind of an instant hook of just kind of the ease of access and how movies are there and they're open for everyone. And I think that ties into the second part of it and something that, you know, there's not a movie that goes by where anytime I sit down to watch a movie, it's it's possible that I'm going to see something that's completely going to transform my view on something. And that's such a thrill. It's something that you, you don't get in so many elements of your life. It's it's something really difficult to find. And yet, if you kind of watch a, a wide variety of, of films and you're willing to sit down and open yourself up to and really, I think, challenge yourself a lot of the time too, you'll find, you'll find out things about yourself, but you'll also learn quite a lot about other societies, other people, and just the way the world works that it's increasingly difficult to get in 2020 through other forms. You and I both spend a lot of time, I know, on Twitter, or at least have over the years, probably less so now than, than in years past. And Twitter is this great example of something that should you know, bring people together and open up information. And really, it's become a tool for misinformation. And it's become a tool that's incredibly divisive. And it's, you know, people deeply entrenched with their opinions. What I, what I love about movies is you can go into a film and you can go into a film that you think, okay, this movie's for me in these ways, or this movie's not for me in these ways. But you have to kind of surrender, surrender yourself over to the film, sit through it, and then, then you get the chance to make your own mind up and kind of work through your own impressions for yourself. There's not someone else forcing that upon you. If you take a moment to reflect, you could say, okay, what did I see? What did I think about that? And I think that's more powerful than ever. I think through so many films, you can just discover a new world in a very literal way. I think that's something that for a lot of people, um, that kind of conversation around movies, they can associate with like sci-fi movies or fancy movies that literally transport you to a world that's, you know, beyond your imagination. Um, but as someone who lives in Europe and, for example, has never visited Asia, um, there's a lot of time where I'll go sit down and I'm I'm going to watch a Chinese film, a Korean film, a Japanese film, whatever it may be. And that is a different world to me. It's a different culture. And that's got something to offer. And I, I think just in terms of not only being entertained, um, but in finding a way to kind of just round out your perspectives and become more aware of the world around you. And it's kind of it's quirks, it's endless quirks. Film remains this incredibly powerful tool. So it's not just escapism for me. 
there are times and I, I love when I go to see a movie and I'm like, this is it. This is something I can just switch off, relax. It's going to take me somewhere else. I'm going to come out of the theater and go, wow, what an experience that was. I also really enjoy the complete opposite experience where you go into a movie and it puts you in a really uncomfortable position and you're going to sit there and you're going to have to kind of live with it and come out the other side and say, okay, well, what have, what have I learned? What have I learned about myself? What have I learned about the subject? So it can do a lot <laughs> and it can do a lot with a little and there's so many different ways you can kind of explore complicated subjects and topics that are just beyond basic comprehension the power of visuals i mean the the power of imagery is something that can't be overstated particularly in a modern world where we're bombarded by stuff the ability to really kind of get a story across through striking imagery or through well-composed imagery through something that's been constructed from start to finish that's been um, thoughtfully composed i think it might be more important than ever and in a lot of the conversation about, I guess, how cinema has changed and how the theatrical experience certainly has changed, some of that can be lost. And I think it's interesting to just take a moment and reflect on some of that when you watch a movie and think, oh, okay, I get it. Or I've learned something new. Or this is what that person wants me to think, but actually I see it this way for myself. So in an incredibly um, close-minded and divided this functional world outside of academy award nominations i think cinema can still be a force for uh bringing people together andrew just like it's brought us together oh i agree bring people together and you know also something i didn't add before help them tap into emotions that they may not normally reach so easily so it's yeah film can do a lot okay let's go all the way back now I know you've been you've been itching for this particular moment, but let's go all the way back to childhood, Andrew. What's the first film you can remember seeing in the theater? What's the first time movies in their kind of their truest form came into your life and you're like, okay, this is what this is? So when we were, for lack of a better term, storyboarding this this first episode, I I mentioned to you that this was going to be a doozy, so. You know, here we are. I had to, I had to pull up the wiki, Wikipedia page to get the title exactly right. So let's let's go back to to 1995. I I recently just turned 28, so I was three then. Um, my father decided to take me to my first movie because a, a t- television show that I would watch re- religiously was turned into a movie. And that movie was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, colon, the movie. It's time to pay the piper. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Something's coming up. Let's do it, guys. Hey, it's Morphin time. Oh, wow. Now, there's more. Uh, I did. We lasted about five minutes in the theater. So, much, much like a movie that I saw this weekend... Uh, and we'll talk about it at some point on the podcast. The movie begins with some serious like excavation going on deep in the earth, and at, in this case, what was pulled out of the ground was a giant egg with purple ooze emanating from it. And apparently, the image of that sent me into a tailspin. I started yelling, screaming, and sobbing. 
and I was unable to continue with the movie. So I was so frightened by that little purple egg uh, that I, you know, had to be removed from the theater. I'm sure we went to go get ice cream. Now, uh, at another time during that point in my life, I also did the same thing at a Chuck E. Cheese restaurant. So apparently this was not uncommon for me. And experience like that should have really turned me off from movies in general. But uh, here we are. So uh, apparently I've grown and moved past that. So I told you I had two answers to this, Adam. But, you know, I'll just get your feedback. And initially, did that live up to the the expectations you had when I told you the first movie was going to be quite quite an experience to hear about? Really what I'm trying to figure out is, did I see this movie? Because it feels like something that I must have seen at some point. Maybe not in a theater. I but I, I liked Power Rangers, so I feel like on VHS at some point, this would have been something that, you know, came across my, my four-year-old desk sort of thing. The primary antagonist's name was Ivan Ooze, and he looked like a purple raisin, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think the Power Rangers, spoiler alert, defeated him in the end, but I, I do not remember. I remember eventually... Uh, maybe years or months after the fact that I had it on VHS. So I have seen it wow. in full. I have seen it in full when I aged into it. I don't know how long that took. You conquered your fears. Yeah, so that was formative, really. Uh, experiencing the fear and then conquering it. It's like, you know, when someone that has a fear of heights goes skydiving, which I will never do, but, you know, never thought I'd see the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, so here we are. I'm on the Wikipedia now, and Two things impressed me. One, it made $66.4 million, so you weren't the only person to go and see it. I mean, it really shows 1995, long time ago, when Power Rangers movies were making $66.4 million. Secondly, I'm not I'm not reading it to spoil for myself, but I can just see at the end of the plot, it had a mid-credits sequence, which, that must be, you know... Maybe this was the movie that set it all off. Maybe modern, you know, superhero IP cinema can be traced back to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. So, in effect, you've picked something more important than you realize? It, I know it's not a Marvel-like piece of property here, but can we just, you know, say that this is Avengers canon moving forward? I think we should. It It is a Fox movie, so Disney do technically own it now. So you never know. Maybe you'll have a Avengers versus Power Rangers movie in your future. We can did, only did you get over? Were you having nightmares about that egg? Or was it just, you know, you cried, you left the theater, you moved on with your little three-and-a-half-year-old life? Uh, I'm sure I did. Uh... The egg was terrifying. That's that's all I can vividly remember. I, I should have done some research and asked my dad exactly how chaotic the the experience was for him. You know, he thinks he's going to have a nice day taking his, his son out to, to see a movie, maybe eat some popcorn, get some ice cream on the way home, and instead he had to have a bunch of other parents watch him take a screaming child out of a dark room. So, you know... It it was uh, it was an experience. I have a uh, another answer that I can be brief with as you know we get to yours, but this is a more well. I want to I want to hear what saved you. I want to hear what brought you back around. So perfect. Take and, whatever time you need with it. And this is important because of I mean it's something that I'm still a fan of today. So in 1997, now 
I'm not totally sure if this was the very next movie I saw, but based on that experience, I would be shocked if my parents brought me to another movie before him then that you know two years had to go by maybe he won't run out screaming but um the empire strikes back was re-released into theaters in 1997 skywalker and han solo rescued the princess destroyed the death star but their story didn't end there Creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. So I I had, my parents took that as an opportunity to show me A New Hope at home, which we had on VHS, which I'm pretty sure we pirated. Um, you know, you used to be able to record Blockbuster videos on blank tapes. So sorry, Blockbuster, we helped you go out of business. But anyway, um, Empire Strikes Back in theaters, and that cemented a lifetime of Star Wars fandom, which has been, you know, it's had its ups and downs, uh, peaking recently with the Mandalorian, but we'll, we don't have to get into that. So, you know, that, that's a, that's a much better answer and a much better reason to send me on the path of loving mu- movies because experiencing Luke, I am your father, or, you know, I know they always butcher the line in the theaters. Spoiler. Like, uh, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry, folks. Uh, was amazing. And the fact that that film franchise has stood the test of time and could get re released 20 plus years later and have me heading straight for Toys R Us after to buy every action figure my parents would let me buy, and they're still all in the attic, is, uh, really shows you the power of what a what a movie can do and in, in this case what a blockbuster franchise can do i have never seen any of the original star wars trilogy in a theater so i'm actually quite jealous of that answer i have vivid memories probably right around the same time of likewise being shown them on vhs um by my dad which not really a big star wars fan or even the biggest movie fan so it's kind of interesting to me how that came about, but it did. And I think I'm probably a pretty similar age, if not even a little bit younger. Um, so well, that's a that's quite a progression from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. So kudos to you on that. I think my answer is better. The first part of yours compared with it anyway. I think it's something that's kind of universally beloved. Um, and... I, I saw this when it first came out and it kind of it kind of amazes me um because I was very, very young. I was a well behaved child. I wasn't one for, you know, public histrionics like you, Andrew. But I was about two and a half going on three when I saw my first movie in the theater. And that movie was the nineteen ninety four The Lion King. We are all connected in the great circle of life. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30-second full-length animated motion picture, The Lion King. Which I'm pretty happy with. I, You know when people are asking, you know, what's the first... 
what's the first uh, album you bought and things like this, and they're always terrible. Or as we've just proven, what's the first movie you've seen? Yours is yours is not good, Andrew. I think mine is about as good as it could be for you know a young child at that time. Yeah, this is like the first album equivalent of saying like Surfer Rosa or something like that. <laughs> right, which I mean, I would be very pleased with that if that was my first answer to that question. But um, The Lion King was definitely my first one. Um, I would guess by that time, if there was one thing I was certainly like exposed to a lot in terms of movies as a kid, it was it was Disney movies. I had kind of all of the classic Disney animated films on VHS and probably some of the not so classic ones which I'm looking forward to getting reacquainted with when Disney Plus launches on this part of the world in like a month's time um, but yeah I, I think there's probably some element of the songs of this which you know for a young child worked maybe some of the slightly more menacing scenes going over my head although I do remember finding Scar scary um, I just manned up through it again, unlike some Ivan people. esque many yeah. have called him. <laughs> and yeah, I guess that's what sent me on the road. I mean, I don't, I don't quite know what I saw next. But what is striking when I think back to kind of really early childhood memories, um, I can remember one of my uncles used to bring me to to the cinema a lot, and we would always be going to see classic Disney animated movies. And I guess this is an example of how uh, how the times have changed, even with you kind of citing Empire Strikes Back in that way. This just seems to be something that happened a lot, that movies would just get re-released, not in kind of, you know, um, not in kind of, art house would be the wrong word, but not in kind of um, specialist cinemas that, will dip back into the archives and show things that aren't first run, but just in kind of like your local multiplex sort of thing. Um, I have vivid memories of seeing lady and the tramp and on a big screen in a cinema. And it was one of the, one of those things I couldn't pinpoint exactly when I figured it out, but it wasn't that long ago where I was like, Oh, lady and the tramp. And I looked it up and I was like, 1955. Um, maybe that's just a timelessness of, Disney animation maybe that's just something that you know animation in general you can get away with but I saw that in a theater and it was like you know this is the first time anyone's ever seen this that kind of sensation for it okay Andrew so moving on can you then think of okay we've got kind of first contact figured out what film was it that kind of opened your eyes to you know this is what cinema can do. This is what movies can be. I guess some of the things we talked about a few minutes ago in terms of why movies are important to us. If you were to pinpoint or can you pinpoint one particular film that made you say, oh, okay, this is a completely different thing and I've got to think about it in a, a slightly different way to how I was processing it before this film. Yeah, so I thought about this a lot um, and this goes back to the thing I said about thinking about film the same way you would um, as literature, so something to be broken down and analyzed. So when I was 15 or 16, um, a teacher that I really liked at my high school created a, a class from scratch, which he called Media Studies. And now, to an extent, we <laughs> broke down uh, 
the modern media and you know if we had that class again i'm sure we would talk endlessly about fox news but nevertheless what this class really was was just an opportunity for this teacher to show us his favorite movies or movies that you know from a critical sense he thought that some you know moldable teenagers needed to see and the one that really stood out to me and made me obsessed with one particular director in this case and just film in general was memento i have this condition the condition it's my memory amnesia no 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 no. it's different from that since my injury i can't make new memories everything fades if we talk for too long i'll forget how we started next time i see you i'm not gonna remember this conversation What's the last thing that you do remember? My wife. That's sweet. Dying. So, you know, the whole idea of the reverse chronological narrative, the unreliable narrator, and just the, you know, the the mind F that that movie turns out to be really opened my eyes to what the power of, of movies could be. And then obviously uh, made me a huge fan of um, Christopher Nolan. So after that, I you know would watch Insomnia, uh, the the his Batman trilogy is also obviously amazing. The Prestige. I'm I'm working out time wise. That would have been right around the time the Dark Knight came out. If you were that age, so I guess there might have been kind of that might have been a particularly uh, wise pick on the part of your teacher for oh i can show this thing and oh you may know the guy who's done this because he he would definitely have made batman begins but this sounds like right in the kind of the dark night absolutely so that it had to be behind just thinking there it's like you you all just saw batman and now watch memento but yeah that was really the first movie that i feel i i really thought critically about i think we had to to write an essay about it or at least we had a very in-depth discussion about it now if if i could find that essay i'm sure it would be horrendous but i still owe a lot to that teacher and obviously that movie because now i uh you know we're sitting here talking about it <laughs> that's a that's a really kind of hardcore choice for this i'm not sure i was expecting something like memento is not memento is like a baptism like fire you know, I mean, it's if that's the mo the movie that woke you up to it, it's like, I guess. Look, maybe I guess that's part of. It. I'm thinking of the the movie that I'm going to talk about in a second, and I guess the same applies in a very different way. But uh, just even thinking, kind of structurally and formally, I mean, Memento is the kind of movie that you know people who feel like they they've got a deep grasp of what cinema is and a really kind of well-established uh, appreciation of movies you could show them memento and they'd be like okay i need a minute here and maybe maybe that's part of it is just the ability to be like okay i've watched something that isn't kind of instantly digestible do you think that's kind of that is the that is the thing where you say okay here's the parallel with literature was just this is something that i can't just watch and kind of throw away is that is that the kind of the nub of what you think made an impression from memento for you i think it is because it's something that you see once especially at 
16 or 15 years old that you're you're not sure that you even have a complete handle on and you know i i probably don't even have a complete handle on it now i could watch it and you know have a different thought about it than i did the previous time i watched it so i think that's something to it like you said it's the baptism by fire and which you're just completely blown away by something that it changes your whole feelings about movies in general my answer i was gonna say funnily enough it comes at the same sort of same sort of time in my life like exactly the same sort of age but the more i think about it that's probably not a coincidence at all um it just seems to be a particularly impressionable kind of age in any person's life where if the right thing or maybe if the wrong thing gets true to you it makes something of a lasting impression and for me, kind of right around the age, again, of 15, 16, I would guess I was probably 15 when I saw this for the first time. I guess some more background is probably suitable here. I've, up to that point in my life, I was... Sports was everything. Um, I obviously still love sports, but sports was my thing. It was my sole interest. I liked movies. I'd go and see movies, but I wasn't even remotely close to what has become for me in the time since, and I would never have foreseen that. And around the age of 15, I had um, two really bad knee injuries in the space of about six months that left me kind of out of action for about a year. Um, and in that time, I watched completely insane amounts of TV, of movies. Um, I bought a ton of DVDs. I was kind of given a a loan of tons of DVDs from friends who were probably more into film at that time. And I watched through all of it. And there's lots of stuff that I watched through in that time that I'd now look back on and be like, hmm, that was not good. For example, on the TV end of the spectrum, I think I probably watched through all of Scrubs at around that time. Very much enjoying it, which in hindsight, I'm kind of like, hmm, okay. Uh, where on the flip side of that, I also would have watched all of The Wire at that time. And on the movie side of things, I think it was around that time that the movie Zack Zach Snyder, who for some reason we always end up talking about when we do movie podcasts, your Uncle Zack, his movie 300 came out around that time. And when I first saw that, there was something about the way it looked that was really striking to me, which now sounds completely insane when I say it. And I cut some of that film recently. I was like, wow, this is bad. The other end of that scale, though, and the movie that's my answer for this is Taxi Driver. Second call, 401 and 7. 1 out of 5. No, final, 448. De Niro. He banged the drum slowly. The critics called him a brilliant new talent. After Mean Streets. They said he was a genius. For his performance in The Godfather Part Two, they gave him the Academy Award. Come on, man. Just get me out of here, all right? Now, Robert De Niro creates a terrifying portrait of life on the edge of madness. Tabby, just forget about this. It's nothing. Taxi Driver, a film by Martin Scorsese. Taxi Driver very legitimately changed my life uh, because all of my decisions from that point on were informed by me seeing it, not by it. Let's uh, not confuse like my decisions being informed by what would Travis Bickle do. Um, but 
by the process of seeing it and I guess just what that did to me. And something I find interesting about this, particularly as you say, um, like you were 15, 16, you saw Memento and that was it, was I've, I've heard this is an anecdote that Paul Schrader, the screenwriter and obviously the, the legendary director, um, but the screenwriter of Taxi Driver, I've heard him kind of bring this story out or kind of trot out this line in any interview he gives where he's asked about it. And he mentions how this is the film that, you know, most frequently filmmakers or even film critics, basically people whose life has become film, come up to him and say, when I saw Taxi Driver, it changed my life. And his response is always, I bet you were 15 or 16 at the time. And he said, it's always like, they're just taken aback by this. They're like, yeah, I was. How do you know this? And the reason he gives for it is probably how I came to see it. And he puts it as it's this movie that I guess, particularly for, for males, it might be a time in your life where you kind of like action movies and you start to watch a little bit more and you're like, okay, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch this. And this movie just kind of comes to you and you think it's going to be one thing. And it turns out to be something completely different. And that in a nutshell is taxi driver for me. Um, Something that I guess I'll return to even with films I'm going to talk about later in this episode, but over the entire duration of every episode we do, for me, the, the perfect film, it, it kind of really, it works all of its, all of its muscles. It uses all of the tools at its disposal. And that's obviously comes in the form of the script, the directing, the acting, um, the cinematography, but also, I, I tend to find my absolute favorite films, the music and the score is just so central to it. And Bernard Herrmann's score for Taxi Driver is obviously incredibly iconic. But I just think all of these things together made for something that was unlike anything I would have seen up until that point. And obviously, there is plenty about Taxi Driver that particularly at that age, and if you haven't watched a whole lot of stuff, and I was never I was never the kid who at like 10 and 12 was really into horror or anything overly violent or gore. There's obviously a lot that's pretty shocking in it too. Um, but I think if, if you're smart enough, which is a terrible way of putting this, but I think, I think generally you'll, you'll get what I mean by it. If you're smart enough, you can watch Taxi Driver and see the violence and kind of work your way through that story and not come out of it being like, Travis Bickle's a hero, you know, which is kind of what a surface level reading of that film would be. And maybe it is that fact that when I watched it, I was like, this film is doing something and it's setting this up in a certain way. And it has a couple of interesting tricks in here that it's begging me to think more deeply about it and to really kind of consider it and to rewatch it and to just kind of pick up on all of the different notes throughout that just really landed with me. And from there, I, I really, I didn't look back. I mean, I mean like two years later, obviously going off to college or thinking about what do I want to do in college? And I went from my whole life up to that point, I wanted to be like a sports journalist which is kind of ironic considering what I've done for a lot of my last few years. Um, but at that point, really, I changed my mind. I was like, no, I want to be involved in film. 
Um, and those two things have kind of continued as dual tracks for me in the time since. Um, but, but I mean, I've since done both a kind of an undergraduate and a master's degree that were, I think, purely shaped by the fact I saw a taxi driver at that time. And I don't know if I didn't, if I would quite literally be the person I am today. And that's kind of crazy to me in a lot of ways. And it may seem like I'm exaggerating, but really that was just one thing that I flippantly put in a DVD player at one point in my life that opened my eyes to an entirely new world. And I kind of haven't looked back since. And that always fascinates me with movies. And I I think it fascinates me particularly with, there's very few people and let's face it, to be pretty weird people who are just like, I don't like movies. There's no movie I like. Um, when I think of Taxi Driver, when I think that did for me, it always kind of makes me think of, you know, what is that movie for other people? What is the what is the thing that, you know, they could always just be one minute away from putting a certain thing in that just completely unlocks something new. I'm not saying it would make them be like, film is my life now. I want to be a filmmaker. I want to I wanna study film. I want to criticize film, whatever it might be. But just that, I don't know, completely changes their perspective on something in a way that reshapes their life um i think there is something like that for everyone whether they found it or not maybe that's kind of naive and overly romantic of me because it plays it that way for me but when i when i think back to that and i think of some of the films that i saw look there was probably lots of other films that i maybe had stronger reactions to but i can think of for example dog day afternoon i would have watched kind of soon after that of as kind of a oh, I like this. What could I find that's somewhat like this? And I probably got to, okay, New York and, okay, De Niro to Pacino. And yeah, okay, again, it's something that leaves an impression. And you just kind of, you get introduced into something entirely different. So for me, it's Taxi Driver. And Taxi Driver is probably something that, not dissimilar to Memento with you. I mean, we may in the future have episodes where we talk about these films um, specifically and in more depth. But for me, that was like, okay, this is movies, and this is not something I knew movies could do to me as much as anything else before I sat down and watched it. That's really cool, and I think it speaks to something that I'll bring up a little later with a film that I referenced, but like it, something, in this case a film, that sparks a passion in, the, in you that changes your whole life and and leads you to you know pursue film as more than just a hobby i think that's that's really cool and interesting i i always <laughs> compare you to to one of uh one of my good friends who's a hockey broadcaster so growing up he would watch hockey games and doc emmerich who's a a famous uh hockey announcer iconic um type of broadcaster to put it in your mind it's like if martin tyler didn't sound like he'd taken a dram of me and every time he uh he calls a, a football match, but, uh, and so, right. you know, that sparked him to make that his career. And it's, it's so cool that you have a kind of a formative memory shaped around film and just think about how many, how many great directors, how many great screenwriters, how many great actors have a specific film in their life that, you know, led them to pursue that as a career and, you know, all the art that's created because of that. It's just, you know, like a, uh, chain of events or like a you know domino effect sort of thing and that's just really cool and something that only a a few types of like entertainment and aspects of life have the ability to do like film or sports or something like that 
but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll get into that a little later with a film I reference. Well, I I think the the last thing on that is I think once that happens to you, and maybe it doesn't have to be maybe quite as extreme as it happened to me, but that's the thing also that like that's the thing that hooks you, that's the thing that keeps you coming back because if if one film can do that to you, you know, it's entirely possible that another film can do something else to you, and it can keep going, and you go into every film, and I I really do. There's even like uh, you know this i see close to everything um that's released that's new i i make it kind of an aim to see close to everything i often come pretty damn close to actually uh, seeing that aim true and there's times where you just go in and you're like i'm not expecting a whole lot but i've got to a point where i can just be a blank canvas and go okay i'm sitting down again i'm about to watch a movie for the first time and I don't know what this movie could do to me. Um, again, there's probably a certain kind of romance to that that to other people would sound completely insane. They're like, it's just a movie and this one looks terrible. I saw 30 seconds of a trailer and that's not for me. It looks boring. But I I do think it's the kind of thing, like anything, I mean, like our thing is not exclusively um, movies, um, because I know we both love music and you in particular are incredibly passionate about music, but the same thing applies. I mean, there's certain songs or certain albums you hear for the first time and you're almost spending the rest of your life chasing that, you know, of what else can make me feel that way? What else can make me sit up and take notice when I listen to it? Um, and that is that is kind of with the best of art, with the best of any kind of cultural entertainment. That's the thing. That's... That's it. That's why you don't just kind of like, okay, what can I put on the background, you know? And sure, there are movies, there's music that is often a little more than just kind of background noise. Um, But then there's also something else, which is, okay, well, what am I going to discover and what's it going to do to me? Moving on from that, but I guess, I guess kind of channeling that same spirit. We've now got a sense of okay, what was the first thing we saw, and how did that build on build on us from there? Um, yours, yours a little more puzzling, but Empire Strikes Back goes a long way towards explaining it. You got there; there was just a false start. Yeah, exactly. We've 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 got a sense then of what made us be like, oh wow, movies. So now with that kind of wider view established let's kind of focus on okay who we are today via movies so andrew this is not a it's not a fun uh scenario really to pose to you but if we were to set up some sort of arrangement where for the rest of your life you could only watch one movie there was only you could watch as many times as you like but there's only one film that you can ever see again what would it be that you choose this is where i get roasted oh Okay, I'm ready. Adam, it's not going to come as any surprise, but you also, you mentioned that I'm very passionate about music. I have an extensive collection on vinyl. I, you know, haven't seen as many as I would have liked, but I'm, I also really like musicals, both on film and on stage. In, in just a few weeks, I'm going to see Hamilton for the second time on Broadway. So, you know, it's something that, you know, is really, really part of my brand that we established on Leftover Popcorn and Will going forward. So for this, I had to 
tap into the critical side of my my brain here because I think this is a wonderful movie that got some unfair backlash when it was released, and uh, I think it's um, something that's also incredibly entertaining and just a joy to watch. Adam, I know what this is, you, right? I know. If I was the guest now, I've got it, right? Yeah, you've got it. If we're playing Guess Who, you, you've flipped out all my tiles, and you can see that I'm the bald man with glasses. But the movie that I've chosen is La La Land. It's a, it's a love story. It's a mu- a musical. It's a trip and a nostalgia tour through old Hollywood. It's really just got it all. Everything that brings me joy in the movies. And I know that might be a little controversial because it's the only movie I could watch for the rest of my life. But if if it's going to be one movie, I want it to be something that I truly love. Not something that I saw once and thought was, you know, you know, critically substantial and something that, you know, was important, but something that I really love. And that's that's where I think La La Land comes in, because every time I watch it, by the time Emma Stone is singing Audition at the very end of the movie, you know, the, the tears start to well up and I, I'm just right back where I was the first time I saw it. So, you know, hot take coming in hot on episode one. Our answers are amazingly similar on this. You might be caught off guard by how similar they are, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to roast you for this. You may regret it if you were, say, if you're on an island that it was the only thing. I, I, you may, but I mean, that's a very personal thing. So uh, who am I to say that? It, it means something deep with you. Lalland is a great movie. I really, really like it. I like all of the elements you're describing. Um. I think you're right to say, you know, you'd want something that brings you joy, something that's a little bit easy. I've very much gone a similar kind of way, um, something that, that you truly love. I also, I mean, that's a it's a film that at the time it was released had deep meaning for me and it's probably not probably not also insignificant in terms of some decisions I made that set me on paths, you know, further deeper into movies are my thing. Um, because really the whole message of that film was, you know, about people following their dreams and I guess the the power of that and what it takes to do that. I'm not gonna roast it. I think it's a really good movie. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything else. That's your pick. I'm I'm fine with that. When you said this is something you're gonna be roasted for, I got I got nervous. I thought this isn't just gonna be an Andrew favorite, but this is gonna be something like this is gonna be something bad. Something that's really gonna catch me off guard. Oh but. no, I was talking through this with Jordan my brother yesterday and he he guessed derisively that i was gonna say say everybody wants some which is another movie i love but i, Great I know but, you know the whole college baseball aspect of it just you know not not his cup of tea so yeah i subverted his expectations and went with one that he has probably seen more than any human being on earth so i think he, he will approve when he listens to this my pick is also a musical I've this is something I've only figured out in kind of I was gonna say later life as if I'm not twenty eight, uh, but 
as the years have gone by, um, I've only figured out just how much I love musicals. Um, this is something we have in common. I guess, I guess we talk about like we talked about when La La Land came out, but it's not like it's it's something we talk about all the time. There is something about musicals, and particularly to me when they're captured on screen, that again comes back to this thing I talked about with the perfect movies, where you've got just kind of everything going on at once and to nail it you've got to get everything right and if you get it right it's like the ultimate feast for the senses and it's interesting you pick la la land because it does hark back to these kind of classic hollywood musicals the classic hollywood era and you get some of these scenes that do have you know the traditional uh multicolored stages you have the whole kind of panavision effect of of how that movie's presented. I guess mine is the mine is the original. Mine is the film that that without it there is no La La Land and that's singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling we're happy again. We'll walk down the lane with a happy refrain and singing, just singing in the rain. To me this is just a movie that gives me more joy than anything i've discussed this with you quite a bit i discussed it with you recently i made a discovery that may just be too weird and niche and take too long to explain to fully go through um but i guess the bones of it are this is a movie that in particular the eponymous singing in the rain sequence with gene kelly doing his dance doing his song on the street with the umbrella all of that there aren't many things in life that I could just be like, anytime I see or hear that thing, I'm going to beam from ear to ear, like uncontrollably smile. I could be in a terrible place. I'll hear that song or I'll more particularly see that scene. And it's like in a very cliched fashion, considering what the the idea, the message behind that song, what it's about, it works, right? It, it does that for me. And I can't remember the first time I saw the film. I feel like I've always had an awareness of it, but it's not something that I was sat down and it was told, this is important. And then I grew up with it being important. I can't remember it being my life. I can't remember what point it started. And it's a film that I've really come to, to watch in, I guess the last three or four years, like watch like multiple times a year where whatever it was that brought me to, oh, I need to I need to sit down and watch Sing in the Rain. I mean, I'm aware of it. I've seen bits of it, but I need to watch it. And it's just, it's so deeply ingrained in my head somehow, every piece of that movie. But that sequence in particular, to me, is just, it's the entire magic of cinema. It's, it's everything that film can do to you. You mentioned early on about just the way that movies can bring out these kind of, these emotions in you that you don't necessarily know where they're coming from, or it can bring them on just like that so quickly and um, that you're not even prepared for it. I mean, this is the prime example for me. I defy anyone to watch that sequence, to watch Gene Kelly and not have fun doing it. Like uh, you, you'd really have to be trying hard to be like, that's not one unbelievably impressive. Um, and two, just a lot of fun. So for me, maybe at a later date, we'll get into my own conspiracy theory of how this particular love of Singing in the Rain came about. But it's a film that is just, 
it's the ultimate joy. It is, if I've got to watch one film for the rest of my life, I want it to be something that doesn't make me completely miserable. And I feel like I could watch this movie over and over again and get the same kind of just pure, authentic happiness from it that I got the very first time I saw it, which I don't even know when it was. It's Again, it's just it's just there in my head. It lives there, and yet it's also there on the screen for me anytime I want. And the effect just doesn't lessen, which in its own right, I think says a lot because that doesn't apply to most movies. It is interesting, despite not you know, going over our, our answers beforehand, we both sort of pulled on the same strings. And and I will say that Singing in the Rain is another film that was introduced to me in that media studies class. So we very easily could have been, you know, having a conversation about Singing in the Rain one category before when I referenced Memento, if it would have just, you know, grabbed me the same way at that time. I guess the love of musicals did not develop until... A, l- a little bit later you were you were 15 or 16 you were trying to be cool i think is the thing i think and, and now 2020 andrew if he was you know sent back to that class maybe it's singing in the rain that but you know you. the girl i was dating uh, at the time uh loves musicals and is now my wife so i guess i could have referenced that back then and it w- all would have worked out but you know going back in time we're not allowed to do that this isn't primer oh it, it all worked out as it was supposed to uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, on last two categories, we are um, both 15 or 16 when the movie that really kind of, I guess, changed things for us, opened our eyes to cinema, came along. Um, we've both picked musicals for if we could only watch one movie, and we both picked movies that I think we feel confident would bring us a certain kind of joy. Although, I do wonder, I don't want to, I, I feel stupid not wanting to spoil La La Land. I mean, it's out quite a while. But I do wonder if the ending of La La Land over and over and over again, if it was the only thing you could watch, would start to would start to weigh on you. I don't know if that would be quite as joyous as you think. That's a, I don't know. I know you watch it a lot, but if it's the only thing you could watch. That's a great point. It's actually been a while since my last rewatch, too. I've I've fallen out of practice way, way too much uh, hockey and Liverpool watching, I guess. Not enough uh, rewatching La La Land. But that's a great point. I think the ending is absolutely perfect. But on the 150th watch, as you're sitting alone on the desert island, your Wilson has become deflated. Uh, that sounds like a euphemism. It wasn't. Um, but yeah, it might it might start to get a little heartbreaking after a while and just really bring home the loneliness of this desert island situation. Now, if you're just in a world where maybe you know, you're limited to watching that, but the rest of your life is the same and be fine. But also, you know, still a little depressing. So that's a good point. I'm just going to focus on uh, someone in the crowd and that, and that's going to, you know, bring. Yeah. There, there are those, there are those moments. I could very easily have picked umbrellas of Sherberg for this, which has uh, obviously very well documented, you know, large similarities to La La Land. And the ending is very much, designed to try and hit the same notes in La La Land that were were originally captured in Umbrellas of Sherberg. Um I don't think I'd last very long watching movies if I, if that was the only one and I had to go through that ending over and over. But yeah, there's the high moments and 
Maybe they just maybe they're all the more powerful. Maybe it's better. Maybe you'd be more well rounded for having both the highs and the lows in your movie. Um, but I respect your choice. You thought I was going to roast it, but I respect it. I knew you would, you know, come at it from this perspective. But the internet as a whole, with our backlash backlash culture, specifically around uh, La La Land's Oscar campaign. But you know, I, we've lost our three or four listeners now. Is what uh, I guess so. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> it was good while it lasted. Uh, okay, the last, the last question, the last movie for both of us, um, as we kind of go through this cinematic journey and hopefully set the table for who we are and the movies that mean something to us and why we care about them and everything that we're going to talk about in the many episodes ahead. We've done If You Could Only Watch One Film for the Rest of Your Life. Now I want to focus on if you could watch any film again for the first time, completely fresh, wipe from your memory, you get to sit down and experience it all on you. What is the movie you would choose? Andrew? I've got two Wikipedia pages open because I had not made a final decision coming into this uh, conversation. I've gone back and forth on it many times. There are two schools of thought, but I think I just need to make a decision right now. And that movie, Adam, is Before Sunset. Let me sing you a waltz Out of nowhere, out of my thoughts Let me sing you a waltz About this one night stand Which is one that I think you recently watched for the first time. You know, this movie is... A sequel to Before Sunrise, Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. This is uh, the middle installment, which uh, I think is the best and one of my favorite movies of all time. I would love to see it again for the first time. It's just a a story about two people that met nine years um, nine years ago and had a romantic night walking around Vienna, I believe, and then, you know, reconnect a little bit later as they're both have gone through life a little bit and are a little more jaded and are a little more um, realistic about love and the world. But then they find that they still have that same connection despite having gone off in different areas of life and everything working against them being together. And the way they interact, the writing, the acting, and then, in particular, the ending is what I would want to see again for the first time because I think it's one of the best endings in film history. It's just all so romantic, cynical, and heartwarming and heartbreaking all at the same time because there's just so much going on in such a short period of time in such a, like a, a small space because we're just so honed in on these two characters and how they experience each other. And I just love it so much. I'm curious. Uh, one, I mean, it is interesting because I have had the chance to less than two weeks ago actually watch this movie with completely fresh eyes and talk to you about it knowing it was one of your favorites. I'm curious, though, about your selection of this because the whole trilogy is great and you love the whole trilogy. Do you think that if we if we had done this five years ago and we were to do this five years from now, would it be before sunrise all the time? 
Because even just think about it, I think age-wise, even at a point where you've kind of got, you've got some life experience under your belt, you're not quite, I mean, I think they're they're supposed to be pretty young, like considerably younger than either of us are in, um, in the first movie. Am I right in saying that? Like, yeah, 21? I think it's like that's an early twenties movie. The second one's more of a early thirties, late twenties movie. So I think it's right around then. So right, so that's what I'm get. What I'm getting to is is this the pick now? Do you think maybe it's impossible for you to know? But because it's closer to where you are in your life, I think it could be. That's that's for sure. I think my age might be playing a factor in me choosing this. Um, I guess Julie Delpy in this case is a career that I'm actually passionate about, but we won't get into that. Uh, <laughs> that's just to stand in for that. Do you want me to tell you the the other movie I chose? Oh wow! I hold on. I love I love where that was going for a second. So this was basically you had you had just memified the movie for a second with you know. We, you know what? You're right. We won't, we won't unpack this. Who knows who's listening? Cool. Well, um, <laughs> tell me about the second movie. <laughs> the other one was The Departed. When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying is this: when you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? Huge. Oh, All right, okay. and this, you know, it speaks to the ending as well, which I won't spoil. I realize it came out uh 14 years ago but still so obviously this is a remake of a i was it a a film infernal called yeah infernal affairs that's right but it's got some of the all-time greats of this particular era acting alongside one another and also mark Wahlberg. uh (laughs) mark Wahlberg almost steals the movie i know it's it's absolutely shocking but it's leo and and matt damon and jack nicholson just each throwing 100 miles an hour. It's one of the, the greatest living directors and greatest directors of all time, full stop. It, it making kind of a, a popcorn movie to a certain extent that's still critically relevant. And much like Uncut Gems, which I saw over the weekend, it's what I imagine taking cocaine is like in movie experience. And then just builds and bubbles up into an absolutely bonkers ending. So seeing that again for the first time and experiencing that, particularly in a theater, because I was you know 14 when it came out, so there's zero chance I went to see it in a movie theater. Uh, that's definitely something I would like to see with fresh eyes. I haven't watched The Departed in a long time, and for some reason in my head, um, I've cooled on it significantly. Maybe I should do a rewatch and see. I don't know. As part of that, just. The, uh, like the actual rat, you do remember the rat, right? I mean, like, yeah, it's not great. You didn't need it, Marty. Yeah. You did not need it. That's that's in my head, and I I don't know has that just tarnished the rest of what I like. I really enjoyed the movie, but just in my head, it's hmm. I I get your your points though, and even just now, I was only thinking of this recently, like um the chance to just like watch Jack Nicholson be Jack Nicholson, um in this stage of his life as well which is also kind of interesting i saw although i say this stage of his life and it's now 14 years ago i think i think it was 2006 yep. when um yep. the departed came out like 
that is its own kind of trill. I would have been shocked if that was your pick, though. I mean, the one of the before trilogy is, you know, I I would have guessed that for you. And it would really the curiosity is which one you pick and and why. So I think we've got to part of that, and maybe another part we'll, we'll get off air. Um, <laughs> Uh, my my pick for this, I don't know. Maybe maybe you could guess this. Maybe you couldn't. Um, my pick for this is my my favorite movie of all time. Um, but it's not just because it's my favorite movie of all time. Although it may be why it's my favorite movie of all time, if that makes sense. Um, it's Vertigo. Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Vertigo. A feeling of dizziness, a swimming in the head. Figuratively, a state in which all things seem to be engulfed in a whirlpool of terror, as created by Alfred Hitchcock in the story that gives new meaning to the word suspense. Just in any form, I don't know. There aren't many things I find more masterful in any art form than Vertigo. And just the complete peak of some of the most incredibly talented people working in their respective fields, coming together at one time, um, making a, a movie that has a story as compelling, as rich, as layered as this one does. Um, that's as visually sumptuous as it is that has kind of all of the tricks of the, the trade and the kind of tools that it goes without saying, an all-time master, if not the all-time master of the form, had established at that point. Um, you've got one of the greatest actors of all time. You've got the greatest composer of all time. And it all comes together in this way that... Like, the the movie is just a fever dream. Like, it's, it's just this incredible experience that sweeps over you, and it, it really kind of takes you along on its journey, unlike anything else. And... It's got all these very grounded sequences. It's got these incredible romantic sequences. It's got these really trippy sequences. Um, and it is just from, from I mean, the design of all of the graphics, the posters, to the score, to the direction, to the acting, everything, everyone involved, you're like, like these are the all-time people. This is it. And this is what they managed to make together. And... I guess, again, this is interesting where you pick something like The Departed and you're talking about the, the various people who kind of come together to make it. There is there is something infinitely appealing about that, but I just think there's never been greater results of that um, than Vertigo. And I I mean, I even include on that, you've, obviously, if we want to even just go at like Jimmy Stewart and Hitchcock, um, it's not the only movie they made together. They made Rear Window together, for example. Uh, which is also an absolute masterpiece and an incredible, incredible movie. But Vertigo is the one that I just think you could unpack forever and I could watch one million times while, with it always feeling like something new to me. But that's still not quite the same thing as not knowing what it is. Sitting down, I'm going to see a movie and vertigo being the thing that plays that's that again maybe this again goes back to some of the conversation we had earlier where i'm like uh, part of the cinema going experience for me is probably this kind of subconscious seeking out 
okay, what's the next like experience I can have? What's what's the next movie that could change my life? And I I can't imagine that being the thing that would just kind of set you on a path. What it must be like to do that. And there are only certain filmmakers that can do the kind of things that Hitchcock does um, generally, but very specifically in that movie. And it's just this beautiful mix of colors, of sounds, of emotions, where to me, it's pretty much unparalleled. And I don't know if anything could ever touch Vertigo. And the chance to sit down and see that movie again for the very first time that'd be something else again though when i think of it i don't know i don't know where and when i first saw vertigo hmm. i feel like i feel like it was on dvd i think i got a hitchcock box set and it was on dvd but i do also know relatively early in terms of me getting into hitchcock um i saw a 70 millimeter print of vertigo um which was amazing Maybe that was the first time. I don't know. Maybe that's why that has such an impression on me. But then again, it's not like I've come up with a particularly unique answer here. This is like the most recent sight and sound ball. This is the filmmakers and the critics all time. Number one greatest film. So I haven't reinvented the wheel, but it is the movie to me that just continues to astound me. And yet I would love to feel like this is completely new. I've never seen something like this. And I guess the, also a chance to just be aware of that, to have that experience again, and to then be like, I've had that experience at a, a different, a different point in my uh, movie watching kind of. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is my my journey through movies. Uh, I guess we could put it as if I was to see Vertigo now as opposed to when I saw it. It's not that it didn't have an impact on me then. But I mean, I just I, it would probably take over my life in a really unhealthy way if I was to see it for the first time. And you just might appreciate it more just the, where you are in your life. Maybe I don't know. That's one way to look at it. Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, look, there's also there's a part of this, which is like I've picked Taxi Driver, which is my two favorite movies. If you want to go one and two are Vertigo and Taxi Driver. And there is like you've mentioned uncle gems twice and we will be talking more about uncle gems i love that movie and there's no coincidence that i love movies that are basically about obsession and that are largely about kind of just compulsiveness and just this this insatiable need to do something because they were kind of they were pieced together in that way by filmmakers who felt that way about their craft. And for me, that's the kind of personality I have. That's why, you know, I don't just like movies. I love movies and I'm completely kind of consumed by movies where it's probably not a coincidence then that my favorite movies are films that very much speak to that particular desire and that particular instinct within me, which is, I don't just want to see this. I just want to know about it. I want to, live in it i want to i want to know every single detail i want to know a frame by frame shot by shot so i guess there are ways we can probably unpack all of that i won't i won't make you do a similar psychoanalysis of yourself but i i can say that i think the interesting thing with this exercise is like 
the Andrew I know comes out in your answers. You know, I, I can pick your character traits and I can pick the way you think about things and I can see them in the movies you've chosen, with the exception of uh, Power Rangers Mighty Morphin, the movie. Well, um, <laughs> but I haven't seen it, though, at least that I know of. So maybe I'd see that. And I'd be like, wow, this movie is Andrew. I think it's going to um, be on the rewatchables soon. So you can just catch up for that. Um, if they don't, we will. Is really what you're threatening. I'm not, not promising threatening is really violent put it uh, but i i do quite genuinely i think there's it's something interesting about all of this and that i think uh i feel your choices reflect you i hope you feel my choices reflect me and i hope collectively then for anyone listening um they kind of set you up to know andrew and i a little bit better and to be ready to listen to us talk about movies in all sorts of different forms for i don't know however long we do this until we take over the world right i mean that's you know day one get to know us day two take over the world so i think that's uh that's where we're at all right then that is episode one of captured on celluloid locked in what we are going to do at the end of every episode is we're going to tell you what we're going to talk about next week because we want you to have a chance to do your own homework, and if you're going to listen to us, you might as well have your own feelings, your own opinions on what we're going to talk about. Um, we'll probably do some some mailbag um, week to week. If anyone has any questions, I would guess early on when we're a new podcast, there's not many people listening, that may be pretty minimal, but maybe as we continue, if people are watching the movies, we'll have some questions to run through. So we will do that throughout next week. I guess we've already given the game away, but we are going to talk about a current film, a recent release, and that movie is Uncut Gems. We're both very big fans. There's no secret on that already. But if you haven't watched Uncut Gems, you should do that, regardless of whether you're going to listen to the episode. But we'd both love for you to check it out and then come back and hear what we have to say about it. Are you excited for Uncut Gems? I could not be more excited, Adam, as we were talking through um, my schedule for, for next recording and that sort of thing. I was mentioning how you know it might be difficult for me to see movies, but I think I need to bail on my work conference whenever people go out for drinks next week. I just need to go to the nearest cinema in Orlando and see Uncut Gems for a second time. That might be where I'm at. I think that's a good idea. I think you should do that. We'll be back to talk all about Uncut Gems sometime next week. Um, so if you'd like to hear that, make sure you subscribe to us. Um, we're on your podcast platform of choice, pretty much. Um, you should be able to find us everywhere. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we can be found at, at Captured on Cell. And that's really the place where I guess you'll find all things moving forward. Um, we also have a website, CapturedOnCelluloid.com, and I'll write some stuff there from time to time. We'll kind of post all of the episodes there too. So if you want another hub for where you can find everything, that's the place. With all of that covered, I think you know where to find us and hopefully you'll be joining us again. Until the next time, thanks to all of you for listening to us. Thanks for joining Andrew and I on this deeply personal journey of our lives today through movies. And Andrew... Thanks for joining me and thanks for opening your soul up like this for me and all the listeners. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Adam. 